You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Good morning, good afternoon, rather, everybody, although it depends where you are. We've got people on in uh, various locations and from around the country listening in. Thanks for joining us. It's Howard Schweitzer from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. And today joined by Mark Alderman, who's the chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, Patrick Martin, who splits his time between Chicago and Washington, D.C., and my colleagues, Caitlin Martin and Alex Campo, also from from Washington, D.C. And um, obviously, everybody knows what, what we're talking about today. It was quite a night and, and quite a morning for, for that uh, matter. And now quite an afternoon. Yeah, exactly, Mark. <laughs> um, the fun and, never stops. Mark, I, uh, I'm, and by the way, Patrick is coming to us live from the minivan. <laughs> so I hope all our loyal listeners who know Patrick will give him endless grief for doing the uh, call today from, from a minivan. Um, Mark, to quote Britney Spears, oops, I did it again. Uh, Mark is not familiar with that quote, Howard, but, well, <laughs> but I get it. I get it. Uh, Mark, yeah. uh, the pollsters got it, got it wrong again. Um, we, yeah. we bought sell, the hype. Sell um, your, sell your stock and polling for so wow. short. Wow. Yeah. Um, mass, massive failure of polling. I mean, but, but a fascinating, uh, democratic process. Well, and it just yeah. as a headline, Mark, and, and you and I were texting about this yesterday. The level of civic engagement here was off the charts. Super positive for the country. Whether you're on one side or the other, it doesn't matter. People went to the polls. They voted. In a, turnout in a pandemic. In a global more pandemic. Americans, more Americans participated in yesterday's election than ever before in history in a pandemic. And that is a tribute to the vitality still of this democracy. That is... The good news this morning, this afternoon, on on the civic engagement front. The other news is deeply, deeply divided country. Yeah, but but there's a, there's some positive in that too. We'll get to it later. Let's start with an overview of where things stand in terms of the top of the ticket, the presidential race. Patrick, give us an overview of where things are uh, with with the Biden v. Trump race uh, as it stands now. Yes, absolutely. And happy to be speaking to you from my uh, beautiful Honda Odyssey between two car seats. Uh, it's just where I do my best thinking. Um, Is that a paid commercial announcement? Yeah, you, yeah. Make a, you may get a free minivan out of that. Though. Yeah, that's right. Or at least so, a client. Let's at least get a client. There we go. So the, the presidential race, as everyone is watching, is unfolding in real time. Mark alluded to it's been an interesting afternoon. The country is used to close presidential elections. We've certainly had a few of them over the last several cycles. 
But the way that the votes have been coming in due to the vote by mail uh, process uh, because of the pandemic has been really a fascinating exercise to, to watch. And as we've seen a lot of close elections, I can say as a Democrat, I've gotten used to them going the other way. It would appear right now at just past noon Eastern time, the day after the election, uh, that this may very well uh, go to Joe Biden. He is holding very slim leads in some key states. Uh, as we're looking across the map, the states that everyone is, is watching closely are Nevada, uh, where there are still uh, some vote totals uh, that are waiting to be reported, particularly in Clark County, uh, where Las Vegas is. Uh, Biden holding a, a very slim lead uh, there. Michigan uh, and Wisconsin, um, which are both very slim Biden leads. It looks like uh, Macomb County's absentee ballots have come in, and now we're just waiting on vote uh, to come in from Wayne County, which is where Detroit is, which would bode well uh, for Joe Biden if, if that's sort of the remaining vote outstanding. Um, and then Pennsylvania, which, as, as Mark uh, can probably speak to better than anyone on this podcast, uh, there is still a lot of vote there left to be counted uh, based on sort of when they began counting the vote by mail. Um, so at this hour right now, it, it's looking reasonably good for Joe Biden. If he is able to, with a win in Arizona, uh, which many of the networks have called, if he is able to win Nevada, Wisconsin and Michigan, he doesn't even need to win Pennsylvania, uh, given that the, the congressional uh, district in Nebraska uh, has been called for Biden. So the path for Biden seems to be there. And the way I would summarize it is if you didn't if you laid out the examples of where the two candidates stand and you didn't say who was Trump and who was Biden, I would rather be Biden uh, in this situation right now in terms of a path to 270 electoral votes. But there's still a lot of counting left to be done. Uh, and we'll have to see over the next, uh, you know, 48, 72 hours uh, how this shakes out. Great. Thanks, Patrick. Mark, let's talk about um, the potential for for litigation as it relates right. to the, the, the presidential election. You've been following that closely. You've been that, nobody. Nobody's unclear on which side of the aisle you're on, Mark. So. I'm going to um, walk this one right down the middle of the road. Yeah, and, yeah, and I'm sure. Report. Do um, my, I'll do my best. Yeah. But let's start with what this is not. This is not 2000. This is not Bush v. Gore. In 2000, there was a recount underway in Florida in which different counties were doing it differently. The Supreme Court said that's an equal protection violation, and they ordered the recount shut down. This isn't that. So so what is this? <laughs> we don't know because the litigation has yet to be filed. But what this is going to be about is the counting of votes and whether the Supreme Court is going to stop the counting rather than the recounting. There's no legal authority to stop the counting of votes where the state legislature has provided for votes to be counted. This is about the election clause of the Constitution and the provision that the state legislature, rather than the governor or, or another state official, decides how to conduct state elections. 
So we will we will see what the uh, litigation turns out to be, but uh, I am I am predicting that uh, the Supreme Court uh, is not going to order that uh, the counting of these votes be stopped in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Nevada, in Arizona. Now Pennsylvania has a wrinkle that we can get to. But that's the overview, Howard. Yeah. Well, it's going to be fascinating. Let's um, pivot to to the uh, Senate and and to Congress. Caitlin, give us the current state of play in in the Senate. There, you know, there was this certainly an expectation that as went the presidential, so would go the the Senate. Um, that doesn't appear to be happening. There's still still a lot that remains to, to be seen as far as the specific Senate races. But clearly, we did not get the blue wave that folks on the on the Democratic side of the aisle were hoping for. So tell us what happened and, and what the state of the race is for the Senate. Howard, you're absolutely right. We did. We did not see that blue wave last night, and um, a lot of pollsters should be looking for new jobs today. Um, but some of these polls weren't even close in some of the key states. We had Joni Ernst win Iowa handedly. Um, Steve Daines won Montana handedly. Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, that was a $100 million race. Um, tons of money. His opponent, Jamie Harrison, couldn't even spend all of the money in that um, in, in the Days leading up to the election, um, so Republican Lindsey Graham maintained South Carolina. Um, Senator John Cornyn in Texas. Roger Marshall won the um, the open Kansas seat. Uh, we had a Republican flip of the expected Republican flip of the Democratic Alabama Senate seat. Tommy Tuberville taking that. Um, and then we've got Dan Sullivan up in Alaska. Obviously, they're still counting ballots there, but, but things are looking good. The key swing states that we were really focused on that are still too early to call, but the Republicans still currently take the lead is um, obviously North Carolina, Tom Tillis. We are still waiting for some final votes to be count there, but he is is, pretty, is slightly ahead there, still too close to call. Georgia, that's where we've got those two um, Senate seats, both David Perdue and Kelly Leffler, who need to break to 50%. We know Kelly Leffler, is, her race is already going to a runoff on January 5th, um, which might mean that we might not quite know where things stand in the Senate until January 5th. Um, right now, David Perdue looks to be, again, they're still counting ballots in Georgia. The Secretary of State was just on the TV a couple minutes ago saying he doesn't expect the remaining votes to really change the trajectory. Purdue looks like he's got the 50% he needs to avoid a runoff. But right now, where things currently stand, I believe we are 47 um, Democratic Senate seats that have been called and 47 Republican Senate seats that have been called. Closely watching Maine, closely watching Michigan still. That's a potential Republican pickup opportunity. I think what we learned, the big headline from last night, is Mitch McConnell is feeling hesitantly good about where things stand. And I think the era of divided government is, is going to stand as, as we move forward. So let's pivot let's pivot to the house for a minute where the same thing uh, happened i i noticed early in the evening that 
when I was looking at the Florida results that um, several of the Democratic incumbents in Miami-Dade County were Biden way, way underperformed Hillary Clinton. Hillary won Miami-Dade County by 29 points. Biden was, I think, approximately 10 points. So he way underperformed Hillary. And several Democratic incumbent congresswomen lost um, in Miami-Dade County, Caitlin. Give us give us an overview uh, of the House races. Absolutely. Um, former HHS Secretary Donna Shalala, who is a big profile name, might be a potential Biden cabinet pick. The rumors are true. Um, she, she lost significantly. She uh, a, a style Republican. She's now available, Caitlin. She's now available. Yeah. She needs um, a job. <laughs> she, she, and her race, and Debbie Newcastle Powell, another South Florida Republican uh, that I was closely following. Another Democrat. Flip, I'm sorry, Democrat race that I was closely following was another Republican flip. I think one of the headlines out of the House, we've seen Leader um, McCarthy already bring this up. Last night was a great win for Republican women. They picked up several seats, and Republicans are closing the margins. Don't, don't, you know, going very likely be in the minority. However, Republicans picked up some seats. They held on in Texas where Democrats were really hoping to pick up more. Um, Colin Peterson, the chair of the House Ag Committee, who's been a moderate Democrat from Minnesota for a couple decades in the House now, he lost. Um, that's another big, a big flip that Democrats were hoping to maintain. Sheree uh, Bustos in Illinois, chairwoman of the DCCC, it looks like she's going to pull it out, but that race is incredibly close, considering she's the chair of the DCCC. I think, um, you know, we, we, we know for sure that Republicans have netted or picked up at least five seats. They're still calling many more. Um, right now, they currently have the split in the House as 195 Democrats, 185 Republicans, with 55 still remaining to be called. But it's a lot close. Speaker Pelosi is going to have to have a little bit of a reckoning. I think the Democratic Party is going to have to have a bit of a reckoning. They're going to have a robust Republican minority contend with in the House. Let me tell our listeners, attendees, that um, you, you can, in the bottom right corner of the um, screen, you can ask questions. There's a Q&A window that we have open. So if you want to ask us questions, just fire away and we'll do our best to uh, to answer them. So we'll get to assuming the state of the race is what it looks like now. We'll get to kind of what it means. But just um, stop and yeah. reflect for, for one quick minute on the state of the race as it appears right. to Let's be talk playing about that. out. Well, what I wanted to say, Howard, is remarkably enough, and it happened every which way. There was nothing linear about this. But we are a deeply divided country. We are divided just about right down the middle. But if the current state of play proves out and we have a Biden presidency, a Republican Senate and a Democratic House Everything is about as close as the whole country. The House is going to be almost 50-50. The Senate is going to be within a seat or two at most of 50-50. In the presidency, you are going to have aligned the popular vote and the Electoral College, 
which is a, some would say, a good thing. But it is remarkable, however we got here, that in a 50-50 country, our federal government is going to be split right down the middle. Yeah. And look, I want to go back to something I said earlier. I mean, if that's if that's the result, one, the level of engagement, I think, is a phenomenal takeaway. There are lots of people worried about the state of democracy. And I think in a in a world where so many people turn out and express their and, and exercise rather their right to vote, that's a that's a uh, phenomenal thing. And there, there's something for everybody in in a, a world where um, McConnell keeps the Senate and um, Biden takes the takes the White House. Um, the president, I, I don't think, is going to go. He's already not going quietly. I mean, it's not over. It's not over. This was never going to be smooth. There's there's no way it's no, never it, going to be smooth. It, we're in for a bumpy. We're um, in for a not few normal, months. a not normal transition. But just one more point to maybe, maybe again, if it plays out as we are projecting and it ain't over and it may not be over for a while. But if it plays out as we're projecting and the Supreme Court gets a case where the law is clear that the election results should not be overturned because they were conducted according to the legislatures in the states and and not otherwise, then once again, the system will have held. The institutions will have worked. Yeah, as opposed to your predictions. As opposed to our predictions, Howard. <laughs> and thank you for Ohio. We appreciated that you wanted to give it to us. Came came up just as short this time as last time. Yeah. We 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 got fooled. We got fooled by well, the not all, not all of us. I, I, <laughs> there's there's some people on this call who I think no, when no. everything's tallied, we'll have been pretty on the money. I'm looking at uh all the wagers I made and I'm, uh, I'm sitting pretty. (laughs) Patrick did call the uh, Senate uh, Republican. Um, So we give him credit for that, but I, I after Caitlin and Alex, well, after Caitlin and Alex, Alex, we were, the three of us were text messaging this morning. I think all three of us were, were pretty right on the money with how how it's looking like this. So why? Now I, I'm not giving Caitlin and Alex the presidency. I'm sorry. That that was if it works out as it seems. Patrick got that one right too. Caitlin and Alex came up a couple of votes so short. But why? Mark, like Mark and Howard for sure <laughs> misread the tea leaves. But but why? I mean, why is. Maine going for Susan Collins, it, it certainly looks like she way outperformed Trump. Um, that's clear. Yep. Um, there are a bunch of races where it didn't follow the the top of the ticket as neatly or in terms of the margin as as we might have expected. Patrick, why? Well, in that race, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I was wrong on on Maine. 
And it does appear that there was a lot of ticket splitting. And I think you have to look at each of these states and sort of where the demographics have gone, where the election history has gone to draw some conclusions about what might happen. On the Senate, writ large, what I think you saw is it is just really hard for Democrats to win in some of these red states. And having worked for a red state Democratic senator, I've seen this up close. And the Democrats are going to have a problem in the U.S. Senate for the foreseeable future unless they can figure out a way to elect red state Democrats and get enough independents and Republicans to vote for them. Uh, You know, none of us on this call decided that every state gets two senators, but that's the system we have. And there are more red states than there are blue states. And that doesn't bode well Uh, to your question, Howard, on why we saw some. I I think some of these things, it just depends on who the candidate was. Susan Collins has a long established reputation in Maine. I think voters there have proven in many election cycles to be open to uh, both different party affiliation and different kinds of people. And I think, frankly, her brand uh, as someone who shoots straight won out and she should be uh, so incredibly proud if she ultimately wins that she overcame the amount of money that was spent in that race, uh, what seemed to be a pretty talented opponent uh, and a difficult presidential cycle. Uh, it's just an extraordinary achievement for uh, for Ms. Collins. Alex, jump in. What are your thoughts? I think in a, a lot of these cases, and, and writ large, part of what we can take from this is if there's a mandate for anything coming out of this weird election, it's maybe a mandate for for moderation. And I think that's really significant as we move forward um, about how we approach working with with Congress and as we think about how the Senate might be thinking about votes and priorities um, and how the House should be thinking about it if they want to do well in the midterms, too. Yeah, Alex, I I would agree with that completely. And uh, something I think we've all been texting and talking about uh, before the election and now is if it looks like Vice President Biden prevails and Leader McConnell keeps his majority and Speaker Pelosi keeps her majority, you have three people running the levers of government who have all served in legislative bodies. They've all served in the majority. They've all served in the minority. They've been in leadership. They've been committee chairs. The combined experience uh, and legislative experience, most importantly, is tremendous. We haven't seen anything like this in a very long time. Because their combined age is about 250 <laughs> years old. <laughs> right. But, no. uh, yeah, it's no. a, you have, north, you have a north lot of, of shared experience <laughs> there. Uh, and, and I think that could, if fostered correctly, benefit the country. Yeah, yeah. I think we're now in a world where we can talk about what kind of deals are we going to make? You know, right. we're talking about, you know, Mitch McConnell is a great deal maker. Biden has a long history in the Senate of doing that, too, working across the aisle. President Trump loves making deals, um, so whoever it is. But, I mean, I think that's the, realm, that's the world we're in now, talking about what do the deals look like rather than how do we change the makeup of courts? How do we love a filibuster? How do we move very progressive priorities through reconciliation? So, Alex, let's assume that the expectations articulated on this, um, this in this discussion hold that that Biden wins and the Senate the Senate stays Republican. What? How? How do you think it's going to work? You've been 
a senior staffer in the Republican Senate. You've worked in, in a White House. Let's talk about let's talk about how this plays plays itself out. And obviously, for those people who don't know, you focus um, on healthcare, and that's certainly going to be topic number one um, with the tendency of the pandemic. But how do you see this playing itself out in that regard? I think there are two different realms of policies that that we're generally thinking of. There's what happens in Congress, and then there are the many, many policies that move through the administrative levers that the executive branch can do without Congress. I think if things, again, if there are still votes to be counted, there are still legal challenges, everything, but if things look the way they look right now at the end of all of this, I think what we're looking at in Congress is very different than what everyone predicted we would be looking at. And so we're not going to be talking about a public option in, in my world of healthcare, I don't think. But I think you're looking at how does, how does the House and Senate and the White House make deals to make fixes to the ACA, especially if the Supreme Court um, strikes down parts of it. On the administrative side, I think that a lot, you know, it might not, this might not be obvious to a lot of people, and certainly it's not true in every case, but a lot of the Biden policies would be the same as the Trump policies. I don't know if that's the case across the board in, in every policy area, and certainly it's not in every single piece of health care. When you talk about price transparency or surprise billing or um, interoperability or HIPAA or, uh, you know, tele- telehealth, there's so many areas in healthcare. The minutia of healthcare that move every single week that really won't change that much. Yeah. Well, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, having having spent a lot of time myself on on the executive branch side of things, um, on the inside at, at a couple of different agencies and in, in two administrations, it's look the the administration if if there's a Biden administration will be very very aggressive on health policy on on the power of the executive pen on climate change there will be a lot of day one re-regulation attempted just like there was deregulation at the beginning of of the the Trump administration um the uh the the thing that Congress maintains is oversight. And the a Republican-led Senate will very aggressively use their oversight authority to um, keep an eye on, on a Biden administration. There's so much that happens in Washington that goes beyond uh, just legislation. Everybody focuses on legislation as it relates to Congress. But I, I know I felt it every single day in the executive branch what Congress was going to be thinking and how they were going to be overseeing what what we needed to get done. And, and that, that's very significant and something clients need to keep in mind as they think about um engaging in engaging in Washington and, and how it affects how it affects things. Yeah, I think to uh, Alex's point about moderation, Howard, uh, when you look at uh, the new Democrats in town, again, assuming a Biden administration, 
Joe Biden, as he liked to say on the campaign trail, uh, is hardly a radical. He prides himself on being a moderate and a deal maker. The two new senators, if it's only two and it may be that the Democrats are sending, are hardly uh, hard left progressives. You have John Hickenlooper in Colorado and uh, Mark Kelly in Arizona. So those two seats didn't get appreciably more progressive. And as uh, Caitlin was pointing out in the House, uh, I think the House got a little more conservative last night. I think Speaker Pelosi's caucus got a little more conservative last night. It It is all reverting to the mean and, and the middle. And that's where the country is. I, I keep remarking that that's the way the system's supposed to work. With if what we're saying this afternoon, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is going to be not linear and not predicted, but we are going to see a government that looks like the country, and that's a good thing. It is and, a good. It, that's a great thing. And and Mark, I, something I was going to ask just as a fellow Democrat. I mean, I woke up this morning based on my expectations of what I thought was going to happen. And I felt pretty good seeing that Biden is in a a position where it looks like he is going to be able to win this thing. The the difference is the number of Democratic friends, colleagues that I have who were expecting sort of a transformational election for progressive values are waking up this morning on the verge of, of, of defeating Donald Trump, feeling disappointed. And I think to your point about it is a good thing. It reflects where the country is. Right. And we live in a very equally divided country. The problem is, is that depending on which side of that you're on, you really don't see and interact with the other side all that often. I'm sure Biden, I'm sure Biden would have been excited about having unified Democratic government, assuming he wins. We have to keep caveating it. I'm, I'm sure, you know, he would have preferred that on some level. But with a Republican Senate, he has a built-in excuse for not going left. He has yeah. a built-in reason that he can't appoint Elizabeth Warren as the – he wasn't going to anyway, but he can't nominate – he can't nominate Democratic socialists, and I wouldn't quite put Elizabeth Warren in that position, in that um, categorization. But he can't. He's not going to be able to appoint extreme candidates That's to right. confirm positions, which Joe, takes him off the hook to yep. a significant extent. Yes. Well, and Joe Biden's fundamental core agenda, because it is his fundamental core DNA, is healing is trying to start to walk back from the ledge and towards the center. If, if, if the Trump Supreme Court validates Biden's election and Speaker, I'm sorry, Leader McConnell works with a President Biden to get things done that is the way to begin, I think, closing what remains, a, a deep divide right down the middle of the country. But I agree with you, Howard. I think if it plays out, as we're saying, 
It's going to give a President Biden a chance to do a little bit of healing, which we sorely need. I just want to say to Patrick, though, I wasn't I wasn't looking for the progressive agenda. I'm not one of those this morning who are feeling dejected that it wasn't um, that it wasn't voted in last night. I'm all for the government reflecting the country. And the country is 50-50. But a 50-50 Senate would have been okay by me, Patrick. Uh, I, to- I totally, <laughs> totally agree with you, Mark. Absolutely. And I think to Howard, uh, your point and, and to what Mark just said, taking this off the table, the sort of uh, reforms that progressives in the party wanted, getting rid of the filibuster, packing the court, and, and on appointments, eliminating that pressure is going to focus in a potential Biden presidency on managing the pandemic, rebuilding some of our alliances and strengthening them around the globe and helping rebuild people's faith in the institutions of government. That is plenty. Uh, yeah. One term in the White House. Yeah. And I, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, what's this one term thing? Patrick? Well, exactly. <laughs> no, but, but at least for, for four years, that is. That is a, a, a plenty large agenda uh, for them to tackle. It is. And, but, but as I always say, that's up at the level of the headlines. If you're um, a company listening, listening into this uh, discussion and you're thinking about, well, how does this impact my uh, company, my agenda in Washington, the things that impact me, it's, it's just it's fascinating because um, you're going to have – an administration that is not, they're not going to be shy about, about using the power that you have. And you've got tighter, you've got tight majorities in Congress. This is like, it's going to be critical to be engaged, Patrick and, and everybody and to be thinking about the dynamics around, around your business. They're, they're definitely going to be, they're definitely going to be different, um, and and you're really going to need to game plan out the various scenarios. It's not just about the power of legislation, like I was saying. It's about oversight. It's about and and McConnell has already called today for a a stimulus deal by the end of the by the end of the year. Um, I guess Nancy should have cut a better deal. You know, I I think that's the other thing is. I think they overplayed their hand a little bit, Mark. And, um, they're, you know, McConnell now has the power. They've, she's basically, she overplayed her hand. She, she read the political calculus the wrong way. And, and now McConnell is the most powerful person in Washington. McConnell is going to decide what's in that stimulus bill. Not, not Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi, um, has become much less important. She's much less important in a Washington with Joe Biden at the helm and Mitch McConnell as the Senate majority leader. Well, true. But if we're talking about between now and the end of the year, uh, the most powerful person in Washington remains Donald Trump. And what what he will do with a stimulus package is a way above my my pay grade, but you still need something that the incumbent president will sign. 
It's actually not above your pay grade. It may be below because, my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're in that discussion. I mean, we're we're in that discussion, and it's what you know. Clients pay us to be to be part of that conversation, and it's look. Trump would have done a big deal before the election. He wanted to. Um, Nan- he and Nancy Pelosi were more aligned than um, agreed. Than anybody. Well, McConnell still has an Alex, and Caitlin can speak to this much more uh, intelligently than I, but McConnell still has a caucus that is at least was seeing the stimulus in two different ways. But but yes, I think uh, McConnell uh, is in the he has the pen. He, He is in charge of writing the stimulus package. And I expect whatever comes out of Congress, the president uh, will sign, whether he was involved and instrumental in shaping it or not. Alex, Caitlin, jump in on this. Where do you see the uh, stimulus package headed? I think that's another thing that doesn't change that much because Mnuchin was right there with Nancy Pelosi. President Trump, you know, Mitch McConnell was having to talk him down from wanting to go bigger and come up with a $2 trillion deal himself. He likes spending money. He likes big deals. Um, so, I mean, maybe Biden will be right there. But regardless, you know, I think it could happen in the lame duck. I think it could happen in the new year. But I think I think it will happen. I think Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans are – some ways, you know, they're very, very important right now, and they don't want to spend that much money um, on a big, big package. I think they want a package, um, but they're concerned there are more Republicans up in the Senate in 2022 than Democrats, and a lot of them have to deal with the dynamics we're, we're sorting out in these states right now. Um, some of them are in solidly red states. Some are, you know, some of the Democrats up are in solidly blue areas, but there's some states that are, that are toss ups. And I think these, these senators are going to watch what they're spending on these packages on the Republican side. I think, this is Caitlin, I think of all else holds today, um, I actually think our chances of getting something done in the lame duck on a phase four package are looking pretty good. Agreed. Um, I think, I mean, look, you know, COVID cases are spiking, cities are shutting back down. These small businesses and restaurants, they need a second drawdown of the TPP program. They need the support. And I don't see Speaker Pelosi seeing the writing on the wall holding that up, given, you know, assuming the results go the way that that they're looking like they're going to go today. I, I think that I see next Monday, we're all working, you know, not even next Monday, I think by Thursday, we're all working the phone with Senate staff asking, okay, where, we, you know, let's keep working. This is what the airline industry needs. This is what our small businesses need, the travel, tourism, and hospitality. We're, you know, as Joe Biden said, it's a debate. You know, if you believe what he's saying, we're in for a really dark winter and the economy is going to need all the help it can get. And we cannot afford to wait until January. So, Trump is already tweeting this morning that or today that uh, they're stealing votes. I mean, I guess he said it last night in the middle of the night. Um, They're finding Biden votes all over the place in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Michigan. So bad for our country Uh, was was a tweet a a short while ago. It's going to be messy. Um, But at the end of the day, assuming things hold, you know, 
he'll find a we'll find a way for him to leave. I think part of the way he leaves is um, claiming that he did a big, beautiful stimulus package on the way out. I, I think part of the way he leaves, if he pushes the issue to the courts, is his own justices um, refuse to to hear his case. Um, it'll be interesting to watch, but I, I agree, Caitlin. I think I think they I think the chances have gone up that they'll get something done in the lame duck. I've already been on the phone with um, Hill offices today, um, talking about some of some of our issues, even even the day after, uh, the morning after. So a lot. Well, they will get something done in the lame duck. Don't forget. I, I know no one has. Uh, there has to be something to keep the government open. So there will be legislation, yep. and we have every reason to believe, notwithstanding whatever other fights Trump is conducting, that he will sign legislation to keep the government open. And the question is how big that package gets for stimulus purposes. Yeah, I, and I completely concur that the odds of something happening in the lame duck went up substantially last night. But just keeping the government open is no small feat in the in these times, and that negotiation uh, is underway in earnest this morning. Yeah. Well, there's something for everybody, <laughs> which is very interesting. Um, very interesting, and not. I think what what any of us well maybe Patrick predicted it we'll give we'll give Patrick Patrick in the minivan down by the river Patrick what's the hat that you're wearing down by the river He's not going to answer that question Mark <laughs> um, I can't see it it's a sincere question I think it's a White Sox hat Yeah um, uh, okay. so Fair uh, but but we we truly appreciate everybody joining us today We'll be back. Um, sometime later this week as things evolve um, uh, to talk more. And thanks for thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for, um, you know, your listenership on our podcast. This will be posted online. And please feel free to ping any of us with questions at any time. We're happy to jump on the phone and talk more in particular about what it means for for you and thanks so much for uh for listening thanks everybody you've been listening to the beltway briefing a podcast from cozen o'connor public strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released the beltway briefing podcast has been produced by hometown podcasts and audio washington dc